Thank you for joining us on the Hope Church LV podcast. We're excited that you came across this message. The sermon you're about to listen to is from our series, Who is God? If you're joining us for the first time, I want to be the first to say, welcome to Hope Church. Go ahead and open up the Hope Church LV app or visit hopechurchlv.com and click connect with us to fill out a short digital connection card. If you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Once again, thanks for joining us today. Enjoy the sermon. Amen. 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 I did some research this week on a subject that living in the desert of Las Vegas, we really know nothing about. So you're going to have to look this up to even know if I'm telling you the truth. I did some research on the subject of icebergs. Not something that you see every day in Las Vegas, right? Let me give you some interesting statistics about icebergs. Did you know that there are over 40,000 icebergs that break off from glaciers each year? 40,000 icebergs. Here's another one. The North Atlantic Ocean has most of the icebergs. Now, if you know anything about icebergs, you probably know the movie Titanic, the story Titanic. It's in the North Atlantic Ocean that Titanic in 1912 hit that historic iceberg and then that massive ship sank. The average weight of an iceberg is between 100,000 and 200,000 tons. That's the size of a 15-story building. Think about that. Here's another one. The largest iceberg in the northern hemisphere was measured to be eight miles long, three and a half miles wide, and weighed nearly nine billion tons. I don't know who's in the business of weighing icebergs, but somebody did that research. To give you an idea of the magnitude of 9 billion tons, that iceberg contained enough water for everyone in the world to drink a liter of water a day for four straight years. Yeah, now you're getting it, right? And you think, oh, it's salt water. No, it's not. It's fresh water. It, it comes down out of the mountains in the snow. It, it drifts out into the ocean water. But these are massive freshwater ice cubes floating around in the ocean. Here was the most amazing statistic to me. When you see an iceberg, how many of you in the room have ever seen an iceberg? Let me see your hand if you've seen an iceberg. So a lot of people gotten around. You've seen some icebergs. Did you know that when you see an iceberg, almost 90% of the iceberg is underwater? Look at that. Most of what you see is not, or all of what you see is just a small fraction of what that massive iceberg really is. The vast majority is under the waterline, invisible to the naked eye. While I was studying about icebergs this week, it reminded me of a verse of scripture that Paul wrote to the church in Rome in the first century. In Romans chapter 11, verse 33, listen to what it says. Oh, and don't get past that. Say the first word out loud with me. Listen, it's oh, Paul, Paul is reacting here. Paul is so captivated by what he's about to say. There's a, a groan from within. Oh, 
oh, I can't wait to tell you what I'm about to tell you. So say the first word one more time. Some of you are there. We're getting close. Oh! Now we're there. The depth. Of the riches. And wisdom. And knowledge of God. How unsearchable. What a strong word in the Greek language. It's a word that, that means being marked by the impossibility of discovering the depths of. Meaning you can set out on a journey to try to explore the depths, but you'll just never get there. Oh, the, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. And how inscrutable. In the Greek language, it's two words put together. It's the word without and explore. It means it's without the ability of being explored Completely. What's Paul talking about? The depth of the knowledge of God. Here's the reality. You and I have been invited into a lifelong journey of exploring the wonder and the glory and the knowledge of God. And yet so many Christians are content simply with what's above the level of the water. We've satisfied ourselves with just the tip of the iceberg John 3:16 wonderful verse of scripture it's a verse of scripture that many of us heard when we came to know Jesus as lord and savior as I begin to say it, it just rolls off your tongue. You can say it with me. John 3, 16, for what? God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only begotten son that what? Whoever believes in him should not perish, but what? Have eternal or everlasting life. Isn't that good news about God? But here's what I want you to understand. Most Christians' knowledge of God begins and ends with John 3, 16. I want to remind you, that's one sentence in this book. This book is made up of 66 books, all designed to reveal to us the majesty and the glory and the character and the sovereignty and the wonder of God. But we've settled. John Piper said it this way. People are starving for the greatness of God. 
but most of them would not give this diagnosis of their troubled lives. The majesty of God is an unknown cure. There are far more popular prescriptions on the market. But the benefit of any other remedy is brief and shallow. You know what we need? We need a fresh vision of the wonder and the glory of God. When I was a kid, I grew up in church and we used to sing an old hymn that had this line in it. The things of this world grow strangely dim in light of his glory and grace. You know why the things of this world grow bright and enormous? Because we've lost sight of his glory and his grace. You know why the problems that we're facing seem so big? It's because our God is too small. You see, if we get a fresh vision of how big God is, it'll change the way we see our lives. Last weekend, we launched into a series that we're going to be in for the next several weekends called, Who is God? Pastor Edward did a phenomenal job launching that series and taking us, amen, taking us to that place in the story between Moses and God, that epic conversation in the tent where Moses came to this place where he was genuinely seeking to discover the answer to the question, who is God? And he so desperately wanted to know that he had the audacity to ask God, show me your glory. Peel back the curtain. Let me understand who you are. And probably to Moses' shock, God answered his question. If you got your Bible, I want you to open it to Exodus chapter 34. But before I read these verses, I, wanna, I want you to understand how significant the verses of Scripture are that were so listen. All of God's word is inspired. All of God's word is inerrant. All of God's word is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness. But we are reading some words this weekend. And, and we're about to read three verses of scripture. We're going to read these three verses and unpack them for the next seven weekends. Seven weekends out of three verses of scripture. One writer, Dane Ortland, said about the verses I'm about to read. Listen to what he said. Short of the incarnation itself. Now, you know what the incarnation is. The incarnation is when God became a man. Listen, if you really want to answer the question, who is God? You know what the best answer is? Jesus. <laughs> you know why? Because Jesus is all that God is with skin on. God became a man. God became a human being and he lived among us. Listen to what he said. Short of the incarnation itself, God literally becoming a man. This is perhaps, the verses we're about to read, the high point of divine revelation in all the Bible. Here's what he's saying. Next to God 
becoming a man and living in front of us. What we're about to read is potentially the high point of divine revelation. How's that possible? Because it's the only place in the Bible where someone asked God, God, who are you? And God, out of his own mouth, said, here's who I am. I'll tell you. That's why he goes on to say time and time again, the prophets who followed Moses draw on these two verses from Exodus to affirm who God is. The verses we're about to read, you're going to go, man, those are familiar. Here's why they're familiar. They're quoted over and over and over and over again in the, New, in, in the Old Testament. So let's read them. Exodus 34, verse 6. In response to Moses saying, God, show me your glory. The Lord... Passed before him and proclaimed. Now listen, God is about to answer the question, who are you? We better lean in and listen. The Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious. That's a good place for all of us to say amen. Because he could have started with holy and awesome. But I think it says something about our God that he begins with. Merciful and gracious. I like this next one. Slow to anger. And abounding in steadfast love. Who are you, God? Merciful, gracious, slow to anger. My cup is spilling over with steadfast love. And faithfulness. Man, I know how unfaithful I am. I am so thankful that my security rests not in my faithfulness to Him, but in His faithfulness to me. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity transgression and sin but who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation (laughs) we'll spend our last week here on verse 8 and Moses quickly (laughs) yeah I think so amen Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth. And what did he do? Listen, just take a moment in hearing God's description of himself. Would you stop? Just bow your head for a moment and just worship.
All right, look this way. We're going to spend seven weeks here. This weekend, we're only going to look at the Lord, the Lord. Who are you? The Lord. If you have an English translation of the Bible in front of you, most of them distinguish this word by putting it in all caps in the translation of your, that you're holding. There are other words in the Old Testament for the word Lord that are spelled L, little O-R-D. Anytime you see this word in the Old Testament, in most English translations, it will be capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The reason is, it is the proper name of God. It is the divine name. Ancient Jews consider this name to be so holy, they will not even speak this name out loud. They don't speak it out loud for fear of mispronouncing the name. I don't think that's what God meant at all in the Old Testament commandment when he said, you shall not take the, Lord of the, the name of the Lord your God in vain. But I'm just wanting you to understand the tradition and culture that this comes out of takes it so seriously that they will not even pronounce this name in Hebrew. Most English translations would pronounce this name as Yahweh. Some pronounce it as Jehovah. But Jehovah is literally a transliterated spelling, taking the, the, the Hebrew word for Adonai, Lord, adding vowel points to it and getting Jehovah. The, the, the mystery of God is revealed even in the name Yahweh. It comes from a Hebrew root that simply means to be. tells us some things about who God is and I want to unpack them for you in the time that I have left. Here's the first one. God is. You say, what's the rest of the sentence? That's it. God is. Most scholars agree that the primary meaning of this word reveals the truth about God's existence. I don't know about you, but I love a good origin story. Marvel Comics has made bazillions of dollars telling the origin story of superheroes like Iron Man, which I am Team Iron Man. If you're Team Captain America, I feel sorry for you, but Iron Man, <laughs> Captain America, the Black Panther, and then most recently, Shang-Chi, The Legend of the Ten Rings. Phenomenal movie if you've not seen it. But all of these are origin stories that, that tell you where this character comes from. Did you know that there's an origin story to the divine name? You have to go back a little bit further in the book of Exodus to Exodus chapter 3. Let me give you the backdrop. Moses 
was a child of Israel. But because of the order of Pharaoh to murder every firstborn child in Israel, Moses' family put him in a reed basket and sent him up the river literally and he was taken in and adopted by Pharaoh's family. He was raised in Egypt as an Egyptian, so he's a son of Israel, raised in, the, the, in Pharaoh's household as royal family in Egypt. There comes a moment in, in Moses' life when his people are enslaved that he reacts in anger and he kills a man in Egypt and he flees out into the desert, the Midian desert, and he's lived in the Midian desert now for 40 years. For 40 years, Moses has been hiding from everybody. He's raised his family out there and Moses is just minding his own business one day out in the desert, tending to his flocks and he looks over and there's a burning bush and didn't catch his attention initially because it's not uncommon to see a bush burning in the desert. What captured his attention was the bush didn't stop burning. When it should have been consumed and the fire should have gone out, the bush just continued to burn. So Moses said, I'm going to go check this out. Moses goes over to the bush and God speaks to Moses out of the bush and Moses realizes he's walked on holy ground. He takes off his shoes and there God speaking to Moses from the burning bush says, Moses, I've raised you up and I've called you and I've anointed you. I want you to go back into Egypt and you are going to lead my people, the nation of Israel out of Egyptian captivity and into the promised land. Moses begins to ask God a whole bunch of questions. You can go read it on your own, but he begins to explain to God why he's not the right candidate for the job. All these excuses Moses gives, and the last excuse Moses gives is, God, if I go, let's just say I agree to this, as if Moses had an option. I don't know why anybody would argue with a burning bush. If I agree to this and I go back to our people and I say to our people, God has sent me to lead you out of Egypt. And they say, what is God's name? What am I supposed to say to them? And here it is, Exodus 3, 14. Look at it. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I, you see how it's all capped? I am. It's the Hebrew root of the divine name Yahweh. It comes from the same verb. I am has sent me to you. He said, when they ask you who sent you, here's what you tell them. I am. His name reveals his eternal existence. Here's what that means. There's never been a time when God was not. You can travel back as far in history as you want to travel. You get on your time machine and you drop down anywhere you want to drop down. And you may find a different set of circumstances, but let me tell you what you're going to find everywhere you land. God is. God is. There's never been a time when God was not. As a matter of fact, you can go all the way back to the beginning. Whenever you think that is, different people have different ideas. Many Christians believe six to 10,000 years old. Some people say it's millions and millions of years ago. Wherever you land on that, I'm not even going to have that debate with you. 
Wherever you land, you go all the way back to the beginning. And here's what the Bible says in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning. Say it out loud. (laughs) Did you get it? I'm going to put it up here for you. Look at this statement. I wrote it down so you could see it. At the beginning of beginnings, when the beginning began, he already am. When everything else we know and can feel and taste and see and touch, when all of that started, wherever you put that in human history, when the beginning, when the beginning began, he already am. It may not be good English, but it's sure good theology. Here's what that means. Before the first second expired off a time's clock, before the first ray of sunlight ever broke across a horizon, before the first bird ever sung from a treetop, when there was no earth, no galaxy, no sun, no ocean, no human race, no nothing, there was God. Have you ever tried to wrap your mind around the concept of eternity? Charles Ryrie says it this way. Look at this quote. I love this. He said, the attribute of eternity means that God exists endlessly. Now, up till this point, I think we all can kind of go, yeah, I get that. It's this next part where it breaks apart for us. His existence extends endlessly (laughs) backward and forward. Now, we can kind of wrap our minds around something that has no ending. Because even though we know death's a reality, we all kind of hope that there's no ending, right? But we all got a birthday. I celebrated mine last week, turned 50 years. You got an old pastor now. I turned 50 years old last week. Listen, we all have a day when we began with God. There's no beginning or ending. I can't even think of another word in the English language to express, express the concept of eternity. Think about it. All the words we use, everlasting, never ending, perpetual, forever, endless, all those mean no ending, but no beginning. Now, I know where you go here when you start thinking about this. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean when the creation happened, God already am? Yes, that's what I'm saying. Well, how long was he am? Before creation. Now, don't think about that too long. You'll be grabbing for a bottle of Advil or Tylenol, right? But I know the answer. Forever. You see, there's never been a time when he was not. I want you to listen to how God describes himself in the New Testament book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1, verse 8. I'm going to put it up here on the screen. I'm going to cover this up for just a second, all right? Because you know this verse. You've heard it. Look what it says. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. Now, what does the next part say? Who? You're cheating. You're looking up here. You're cheating. Because I did this test this week with five of our pastors, and all five of them failed. I'm not going to call names. Because here's the way we normally quote this. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who was and who is and who is to come. You know why we normally quote it that way? Because that's the way we think about time. We think about time how? Past. Right? How do we do it? We think past, 
present. Why? Because that's the way we live in time. We have a past, we're living in the present, and then there's a future. But I want you to notice when God describes himself, he does not begin in the past. He begins in the present. Why would he do that? Let me tell you why he did that. He's describing himself in relationship to time. Here's what God said. I'm the one who am. I exist outside the parameters of time. Before there was time, before the clock began, before the first sunrise, I already existed in eternity past. But then, get this, but then he's the one who was. At a moment in time, he took on human flesh and existed within the framework of time that he spoke into existence. And then he says, oh, this is the good part. And he what? He what? Woo, one day he's coming again and he's going to bring all of time as we know it to an end. God is. Let me give you a life application. I got to get to the other points. All right, here's a life application. God is always God. I don't think that hit some of you. God is always. God is always. It speaks to the reality of his eternal presence. Here's what that means. God never takes a day off. God never takes a nap. God never misses an appointment. God never takes a vacation. God doesn't stay up late on election night to see who's going to win. God has seen leaders come, and God has seen leaders go, and God still am. Sometimes, sometimes we lose sight of the reality of the eternal presence of God. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? He's never said, "Uh uh-oh. Sometimes we think our circumstances are so unique that, man, what I'm facing in my relationship, it's just unlike anything, or what I'm facing in the circumstances in my job, or what we're facing in our country, or what we're facing financially, or what we're facing, facing in our health. All these things we begin to think, man, nobody's ever been through what I've been through. Here's what I want you to hear me say. God's seen it all. God has sustained his people through it all, and God has led them out victorious of it all on the other side. God is always. Number two, God is unchanging. The name Yahweh speaks to the unchanging nature of God. The Lord, the Lord. It can literally be translated, he who is. Meaning what you get today is what you got yesterday. It's what you're going to get tomorrow. He who is. That's why when Moses said, who are you? He said, you tell him, I am who I am. In the book of Malachi chapter 3, listen to what God said about himself. For I, the Lord, there's that name again, do not Change. It literally means to become different. Listen to the way the Old Testament psalmist writes it. He says in Psalm 102, Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Now, when you and I think about the foundations of the earth and the heavens, the galaxies, the stars, the sun, like anybody in the room wake up this morning worried about whether or not the sun was going to shine? Anybody not be able to sleep last night because you thought the sun wasn't going to rise? 
listen, if you say yes to that question, you need more than my sermon can give you, all right? <laughs> Professional counseling would be recommended for you. No, because we see the sun rising as what? It's constant. It's unchanging. Like, there's a lot of stuff we got to think about tonight, but what you don't have to think about is in the morning, is the sun going to come up again? Listen to this. Of old, you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. But get this. They will perish. (laughs) But you will remain. They will wear out like a garment. You hear what he's saying here? In comparison to the unchanging nature of God, the Milky Way is like changing clothes. They will wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe and they will pass away. But you are the same. And your years have no end. Millard Erickson said it this way. What we are dealing with here is the dependability of God. He will be the same tomorrow as he is today. He will act as he has promised. So here's the second life application. Not only God is always, but God is always God. (laughs) You didn't get the significance of that. Listen, listen, here's what I'm saying. Some of you came in here today. Man, it's been one of those weeks. You've given into the battle. You're discouraged. And you came in today needing a fresh outpouring of the grace of God in your life. Here's what this says. He is as gracious today as he has ever been. He is as gracious today as he ever will be. So you showed up on a good day because you didn't show up on a day when there's insufficient funds. You came today when God am. He am gracious. Some of you came in here today. And what you have been carrying this week is failure. That area of weakness in your life, it's been that area of your sanctification that you've wept over, you've prayed over, you've gotten accountability in. And man, you've just had one of those weeks where it feels like the flesh and the enemy from every side is just wearing you out. And you walked in here today with a need for the forgiveness of God in your life. Oh, I got good news for you. You came on a good night. You came on a good day because he is as forgiving today as he has ever been. And he is as forgiving today as he ever will be. Because God is always God. Some of you came in here today and you are downbeaten man at work, at home, in the neighborhood. Everything's weighing down on you. You feel weak. You feel hopeless. You feel lost. And you need a fresh, renewed strength from God. I got good news for you today. You came on a good weekend because God is as powerful and as strong today as he's ever been, as he's as powerful and strong as he's ever going to be because God is always God. Hey, listen, listen. Some of you came in here today with need. 
Like you have need in your health. You have need in your finances. You have need in your marriage. You have need in the relationship with your children. You are burdened tonight with need. I got good news for you. You came on a good day. Because our God is as much Jehovah Jireh, the provider today, as he has ever been. And he's as much Jehovah Jireh today as he ever will be. God is always God. Listen, some of you came in here and you don't even know God. You're lost. You're far from God. You stumbled in here hoping to find some answers. A friend brought you here and you've come out of desperation. You're hoping beyond all hope that somehow God can save you. Oh, I have good news for you. God is as much a saving God today as he has ever been and he's as much a saving God today as he ever will be because God is always God. Let me give you the last one. I got to finish. God is relational. All this rooted in the name The Lord, the Lord. You see it in the text in two ways. First of all, the the word Lord, the word Yahweh, it's only used in the Bible describing God's relationship to his people. There's another word for God, Elohim, that is used describing God's relationship to the material universe, to creation. Only Yahweh is used to describe his relationship to people. But then secondly, you see it in verse 6. Look at it in verse 6 of Exodus chapter 34. The Lord passed before him and, say it out loud. Oh, I wish we had time to just unpack and sit down on that. It is such a relational word. It means to declare, to summon, or to invite. Moses said, God, who are you? And the Lord passed before him. And invited him in. And he said, The Lord, the Lord. You see, this eternal, unchanging, ever present, sovereign God can be known personally. We often think of God like the force in Star Wars, some cosmic energy, or some distant, far-off, otherworldly being. But here's what Exodus 34 says. God is a person with a name who desires To know you and be known by you. Well, how do we know God? How do we know God? That is the whole story of the Bible. Genesis 
to Revelation. The story of this book is God declaring, summoning, inviting us to know Him. You see, the story of this book is that you and I were created to know God, but we sinned against God, and our sin separated us from God, and there was nothing we could do according to this book to earn our way back into fellowship with God, so God did what we couldn't do for ourselves. God sent His Son, Jesus. We quoted it earlier, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world. He loved you so much. What does that scream? Relational God. God so loved you. When you read that, put your name in there. When it says the world, it means for God's soul offense. For God so loved you that he sent his son Jesus into the world on the cross. Jesus took all of your sin, my sin on himself. On the cross, Jesus died for our sin. Oh, but here's the good news. He did not stay dead. God raised him from the dead as a testimony that he'd accepted his sacrifice for our sin so that now if you and I will simply believe in him, meaning we put our faith, our trust, we surrender the control of our lives to Jesus, we're born again. We won't perish, but we have what? Eternal life. Now, a lot of Christians, and this is where we go back to where we started, a lot of Christians have heard this and they've been satisfied with knowing God saved me. I'm going to go to heaven when I die, but eternal life doesn't mean heaven when you die. You say, whoa, 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 what do you mean? Listen, that's a part of it. It's a good part of it. But let me show you what it means. John 17, 3. And this is eternal life. That you go to heaven when you die. No. That they may know. The only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You know what it means to know God? It means to enter into a relationship with God by faith that invites us into a journey, not just for the rest of this life, but for all eternity of growing in the knowledge of God. And guess what? When you've been in heaven for 10,000 years, you still hadn't even begun to understand the vast glory of the knowledge of God. We will be able to grow in the wonder and knowledge of God for all eternity and never exhaust the riches or the wonder of who he is. And that is eternal life. You know what makes heaven heaven? <laughs> it's just taking the relationship to a whole new level. You see, right now, I can only grow to know him by faith, but guess what? Then I'll know him by sight. Like Moses, I'll be able to ask him. And he'll pass by. And he'll declare and proclaim and invite us to know him more. The Lord, the Lord, that's who God is. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would take your word and speak. For those that are here in the building 
who don't know God. You're not yet a follower of Jesus. You don't know what it means to know Him personally. Listen, if you don't know Him, today you can. In just a moment, we're going to stand. Our team's going to lead us. We're going to sing a song, but it's not a slip out early kind of moment. It's a moment for us to respond to God and worship. And for some of you, the first act of worship tonight needs to be that you come and surrender the control of your life to Jesus. This God who loves you, this God who gave his son to die for you, this God who wants a relationship with you, this God who can satisfy you is inviting you to himself, but you must respond. We're going to have pastors that are going to join me here all along the front. They can go ahead and come now. When we stand to sing in just a moment, you can come to one of these pastors and simply say to them, man, I need God. And they'll have somebody sit down with the Bible and show you how you can begin a relationship with God tonight. You can come to know Him tonight. You can leave here today knowing God. But maybe you're here and you're already a follower of Jesus. You already know God. Here's what I'm telling you. Today, He's inviting you to know Him more. I pray that what this service has been for you is a moment for Him to pass by. And you've heard His voice invites you into deeper fellowship with Him. This altar is going to be open. Man, you can just come be alone with God and just say, God, I need you more. I want to know you more. Maybe you just want to come get in this altar like Moses and just say, oh God, would you show me your glory? Maybe you want to pray with one of our pastors about something in your job, your health, your family. As God leads, you respond in this moment. Lord, tenderness of this moment, have your way. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Let's stand together. Our team's going to lead. You respond as God speaks.